time of year where by the time we uh, finish recording this podcast, who knows what else might have happened. But yeah. all we can do is talk about what we know. And what we know is Jacob Truba is going to the Rangers. Eric Carlson staying with the Sharks. Dallas Eakins is going to coach the Anaheim Ducks. And Justin Braun's going to be a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. We're going to talk about all of that. We're also going to bring on Sportsnet's Sam Cosentino to break down the forthcoming NHL draft in great detail. But before we get to Sam, I think we have to start with Jacob Truba. Long rumored, universally viewed as a coup for the Rangers. I mean, Mm -hmm. you look at, we'll talk about Carlson, of course. You look at San Jose and the Rangers. I mean, we live in a cap world, so there are no one can spend anyone into the ground, but that doesn't mean there aren't still inherent advantages for some teams. And when it comes to teams like the Rangers, teams like San Jose, they can really bet on themselves and and know they have a great chance of uh, diving into an uncertain situation with a player and banking on the fact that player will want to stay there long term. And that's certainly what they think is going to happen with Truba. Yeah, that I mean, he wanted to go back to the United States. He's going to the biggest market in the United States. And it really looks like the Rangers are going to be a, a team that's going to emerge here very quickly. They've they, already they're picked, fast becoming a big story, yeah, aren't they, they? they? Remember, it was just last trade deadline in 2018 where they said in that letter to their fans, don't expect us to add anything. We're trying to accumulate prospects and picks as as we're rebuilding here. And now this year, it's only been a year later, they're in a really nice position. They've, they picked five times in the first round, in the last two drafts, they did have two first round picks this drafts before sending Winnipeg back their first round pick. If Matt Zuccarello resigns with the Dallas stars, they'll get Dallas's first round pick in 2020. So they'll have two more next year. You, you've just traded for Adam Fox, who was a third rounder. But if you redid that draft again, I bet you he'd be a first round pick. He's going to be an NHLer next year. Their cap situation is really interesting because there's only three players signed beyond uh, 2021. So there's no, you know, you don't have to worry about a new contract muddying any waters going forward. You're going to have some of these players that you've picked Philip Hedo, Elias Anderson, Vitaly Kravtsov has made the uh, the decision to come to North America. These guys are going to be pushing for NHL roster spots very, very quickly. Truba right away becomes their number one defenseman. And the idea that he is going to be there playing with Brady Shea right away is probably a good one. I bet that he eventually is the the partner with Adam Fox when he gets his NHL feet under him. Another guy who wanted to play for the Rangers. Another guy, <laughs> exactly. And and now you've got the possibility, well, does Artemi Panarin look at this and think, well, maybe I would want to go here instead. Uh, John Davidson has just made the move to New York from Columbus too. So there's that connection working for him. You know, they rapidly could become a force in that Metro division. Now, I'm not looking at this team right now and saying, look out for the Rangers. They're going to win the Metro next year. There's a lot of work to be done. But GM Jeff Gorton has done just a fabulous job there accumulating assets and then kind of picking his spots on where to use those. And so far, it's it's been really, really effective for them. Winnipeg's kind of getting skewered for getting uh, the 20th overall pick and Neil Pioink. Back. Still a tough one, bit of a mouthful there. Yep, um, yep. <laughs> but my thought actually went the other way to I look at some teams. I mean, you mentioned Panera and they've been linked, he's been linked to Florida, Arizona at 14, a couple other US warm weather teams that I think wouldn't you have put number 13 overall or 14 overall and another really you know, not that exciting player together and made a pitch. Like could someone have outbid the Rangers here was 
quickly what I thought. There were some teams that really sprung to mind. I mean, Chicago with the cap situation, I don't know. And and I understand there's the uncertainty of uh, Truba as an RFA, but wouldn't you probably trade number three overall for Jacob Truba? Wow. That, that to me might be a bridge a little, a little too rich. far for where Chicago is. I mean, it's, it's Truba's interesting. 25. It is, yeah. 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 Um, Boy, uh, you should have put that to me before the show yeah. on the spot here. That, uh, that really just, makes you think. I mean, I too was looking at Twitter thinking, ooh, Winnipeg, you could have done better. But, you know, the more you thought about it, it was, as you said, I mean, we've known for a long time this was a player who was eyeing uh, playing in the, in the U.S. And as he mentioned, it's for personal reasons. His fiance is a yep. doctor and for the advancement of her career, it just works better for them. Fair enough. Yep. But yeah, my thought quickly turned to like, hey, what about some other teams that it seems like really could have put something a little yes. better even together. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought when they traded him, it would be not for market value because he is in a little bit of control of his situation. Um, but I thought it'd be better than that. Like Pionk is kind of like a third pair guy, probably yeah. um, that at least you get the 20th overall pickback. I, that That's my takeaway is, is Sheffield day is a master at like getting, keeping first round picks. Remember the Vegas expansion draft he basically should have lost a pick to protect the players he wanted, but he was able to work a deal with them where he just swapped first round picks. So he came out of it protecting everybody he wanted to and keeping a first round pick out of it. So I thought he did a very good job there. This just makes me wonder, you know, what was true actually demanding here? Not, not that he was picking his spot necessarily and saying, you know, whatever the, the point is he is an RFA this year, but he was in complete control to just walk into arbitration, get a one-year deal and walk out as a UFA next year. So he was a little bit more in control. He didn't have a no trade clause or anything, but he had way more control than your average RFA in picking where he wanted to go. Right? Like he could, maybe there was a better offer on the table potentially from a team like Chicago with the exception that they would want to talk to him first or maybe get an idea and maybe they did get an idea on what his contract demands were going to be or what the outlook was for him signing there. And it just wasn't positive. And so then they, they pulled back. That's the only takeaway I have from this is maybe he just didn't want to go to these other teams. Maybe, maybe. he just was more open to signing with the New York Rangers than everybody else. I can't imagine, you know, anybody throwing a lot of stuff at the Winnipeg Jets or they having that certainty because he's asked for a trade from Winnipeg. He's only taken bridge contracts, went through arbitration last year, which a lot of people don't end up doing. Usually you get those signed beforehand. It just kind of leaves that door open that maybe the offers just weren't there because of the player's situation in this case. Are you surprised when push came to shove, Eric Carlson got his money just yes. because, yeah, I'm a little bit too, you know, we live in an era across all sports where GMs are getting a little more stingy and a little yep. more cautious with handing out these big contracts. You know, obviously we heard the rumblings that maybe a move back East was desired uh, on his part, but I was a little surprised that, I don't we talked about this on a previous pod. There are some teams I think it made sense for them to bet on Carlson's talent. And sure. and I think San Jose is one of those teams because they're they are really trying to win the Stanley Cup still. Yeah. But I'm a little surprised it came down to full term eleven and a half. I'm surprised he got eight figures. I thought it might come below ten million dollars. I'm shocked that not only did he do that, but he he set the new bar for the highest paid defenseman. Like it went above and beyond drew Doughty, right? Yeah. That that's what I'm most surprised about here with, with his injury history. The fact he is recovering from a groin injury right now, you know, the thing is 
the team that has him, the team that re-signed him probably knows the situation with that better than anybody else. So obviously they must be feeling pretty confident about that. He's still a world-class defenseman would not surprise me in any way. If he wins a Norris trophy again in the next couple of years, if not two or three more, um, he was great for them when he was healthy this year. He did slow was obviously in pain towards the end of their playoff run. But when he was healthy, you know, there was that talk at the start of the season, what's wrong with Carlson. He's not putting up points. Well, he, that was just unluckiness. Like he was driving a ton of the play and getting a lot of good results. It's just the pucks weren't going in while he was on the ice. And then that started to turn. And then Eric Carlson suddenly was coming back up into the, maybe he can be in a late charger for the Norris. And then he got injured again and that, that fell him out. So he could be back right there next year. The interesting thing to me about this is, is what this does for everybody else in San Jose. Like you have a lot of questions still. You have seven forwards who are signed, not a heck of a lot of cal- uh, salary cap space, 16.3 projected. And with reports that that salary cap might even go below $82 million. That's, that's maybe a million or more less salary cap room. Still haven't signed Joe Pavelski. You're capped in what the heck is going to go on with yeah. him. Timo Meyer and Kevin LeBanc had breakout seasons as RFAs. So, you know, they're not going to be making Mitch Marner level money or anything like that, but they'll get hefty raises for sure. And you got to do something with your goalies still. You, you, you can't go back in next season with Martin Jones and Aaron Dell. I don't think Doug Wilson is one of the best GMs in the game. So you got to trust that he's going to kind of figure this thing out. Moving out. Justin Braun is just kind of moving out of contract, right? So maybe he can do one or two more of those to get this team where it needs to go. But I am shocked that Carlson got 11.5 because of his injuries, but also with this team in particular, I think it's worth it for the sharks to go forward with what they've got. They're investing almost 50% of their cap against the blue line now. Um, But I just, I am surprised at the questions that are still on the table. And the fact that Pavelski chiefly is still without a contract. there. So as you mentioned, Braun out the door to clear a little space, Philly we're kind of seeing starting to make some moves. I think clearly a team, you know, Chuck Fletcher kind of sat back, took it all in, did his evaluating and now is ready to spring into action before uh, we get to Sam here. Cause we want to get onto the draft talk. Let's just quickly talk about Dallas Eakins. Um, a guy who once upon a time was here with the Marley, someone who really gained a reputation quickly as uh, an inventive guy who was willing to try anything at the forefront of pulling the goalie very early, Um, you know, was heralded as the smartest guy in the room when he went to Edmonton. And of course things didn't pan out there for him as they haven't panned out for anyone. I would say he's getting a much deserved second chance here in Anaheim. Yeah. And I think he said like he would have done things a little bit differently and he'll learn from that. He'll learn from the success he had in the AHL. He'll just come back a more prepared NHL coach. I think for not the on ice stuff, but everything else Mm -hmm. around it and dealing with players and and all that stuff. Um, You know, he didn't have a great uh, success at all in, in Edmonton, but he was as deserving as anybody to get that second chance with, with his track record, what he accomplished this year in the AHL getting San Diego all that way. I, the only surprising thing about that is how long it took. Yeah. I just thought as soon as their season was over, boom, Dallas Akins is hired, but I guess they wanted to do that coach search did it. And it's no, no shock that, that Akins is the guy. I think everybody was expecting this from mid season. But I always think about whenever I hear Dallas Akins name is, I forget the name of it, but he does this crazy uh, race in Colorado or has done it. It's at least partially on mountain bikes, maybe some running too. the mm-hmm. kind of thing that you just look at and you're like, what am I doing with my life, yeah. man? This guy, he uh, <laughs> is in top, top, top shape as all the uh, media people in Edmonton remember because they're joking about how he got the donuts out of the press room yeah. and brought in yep. the uh, the veggies and fruit. All right. 
Enough of veggies and fruit. Let's get on to the meat and potatoes. We're going to talk about the 2019 NHL draft. No better person to do that with than Sportsnet. Sam Cosentino, he's swinging by the studio. Coming up next on Tape to Tape. podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six-function multi-protocol gate. Summer is on the way, which means softball beer leagues, beach volleyball, and patio season. The Sierra Denali's gate comes with a built-in load stop to keep whatever you're traveling with in place and turns into a step for easier access. Once you arrive, it can also become a work surface that includes a power outlet. So, whether you're loading a tackle box, working on a project, or tailgating at the game, we've got you covered. GMC Sierra Denali. We are professional grade. All right. Pleased to be joined in studio by, I always call you Sportsnet's draft guru, prospect guru, whatever. That's my unofficial title for you. Sam Cosentino. Sam, how you doing? Busiest time of the year for you. Yeah, it sure is. And, you know, you roll right from Memorial Cup and right into the combine and right into phone calls, emails, text messages, and right into the mock draft and all, it all kind of flows together, culminating in the, in the big weekend here in Vancouver. So I love it. You know, it's a little bit challenging balancing the the family and doing the work, but you try and stay up late and hit the guys out west late at night and try and hit the other guys after dinner. So Mm -hmm. it's a labor of love for sure. All right. So let's start with a 30,000 foot view. Why don't you break this draft into some tiers for us? I mean, I think we can safely say, you know, you've got two guys at the top who have kind of separated themselves, but I'll let you take it away. How would you kind of block it off? Yeah, it's it's interesting because within these tiers, there's probably three or four players that really are going to have an impact on how it plays out. So the next tier of players would probably run into the 12, uh, 13 range. And part of that would be uh, Vasily Podkolzin and where he ends up going. For me, I think he'd be the third best player available in this draft class. Uh, the fact that he is Russian and some teams stay away from that um, because they're worried about you know the player not to fulfilling his contractual duties, the, the player leaving the goal and playing the KHL, the player not necessarily wanting to, to spend time in the American League to, to better develop and as a result ends up going home. And in his particular case, a two-year contract um, that won't allow him to, to play in North America until year three. So with all of those things having been said in terms of that next tier, if he's in it, he pushes someone down and we probably extend it by one player. The next guy you look at is Spencer Knight. He probably falls into what you would consider that third tier. But he's also a guy, if picked as a goaltender, and likely in that spot probably between 10 and 20, that he ends up pushing a guy or two down, which has an impact on the next tier. And that next tier probably looks like Raphael Lavoie and Arthur Kalia. And those guys are real wild cards. So again, if they end up flipping and going up in tier, it pushes players down. And so it kind of, ex- I guess it expands the depth of the high-end guy. It is it is pretty fascinating, though. So I look at it like this. Top two guys. Then I'd probably look from 3 to 12. Then I'd say from 12 till about 22. And then really from 23 on through to about 60. I think there's a wide group of guys there 
that can honestly go in in really any order, which is going to make for some volatility when it comes to teams that are in the first round, the four or five teams that don't have second round picks and would be willing to look at a cluster of players that would be available to them in round two. So maybe a trade back out around one scenario presents itself. And I think we'll see a couple of those options really come to fruition. So let's talk about some of these players first. And let's start at the top with Hughes and Kako. Hughes was probably at least two years out was the top player in this draft. Everybody was talking about. And I think on your first draft rankings in October, Kako wasn't even number two at that point. He was a little further down, but obviously great world uh, juniors set a goal scoring record for a player, his age in the Finnish league, very comparable in that way to uh, Alexander Barkov, some great players that had similar totals that he bested. But I think a lot of people are now are settling on New Jersey's going to take Hughes. How close really are these two players and, and how difficult is that choice for the top team? Yeah, that's a fascinating one for me. And I, and I do think because it's New Jersey, I think because of the connection between the Shiro and the Hughes family, I would look at it as a foregone conclusion. I would say, though, and I would venture to say that it, at least half of the teams uh, would have Kako as their number one guy. Mm-hmm. And so there, there, there is that to be said about that player. And this, the way the, the draft lottery shook down, New Jersey gets the pick, Shiro Hughes relationship, a marketable guy being an American kid in an American market is definitely going to help out. But that's not to say anything about Kako, who's probably a little bit more NHL ready. You know, the the other thing you have to consider is more teams put value on a center as opposed to winger. And as it stands right now, Kako does not project to, to be at the center ice position where Hughes does. So that do, definitely has an impact. But I would venture to say that we're looking at a 50-50 split in terms of teams that would take Kako at number one. Hmm. So in this particular situation with Jersey, I don't think that's going to play itself out that way. Uh, but there are a lot of teams that would definitely be looking at the second guy. And I mean, Spencer Knight to me is really, really interesting because we've had two goalies taken in the first round in the last five years, I believe it is. And Carter Hart, even he came on this year. He was not a first rounder in his draft. He three time WHL goalie of the year, great track record and everything. And then obviously was fantastic. So with, with Knight, you th- I thought teams were very, very reticent to go with a goalie that early in the draft. What is it about Knight that makes him a potential to go, not just in the first round, but maybe in the middle of the round? Yeah, it it's Flurry, it's Price, it's Vasilevsky. And those are the guys that give you hope for making this guy a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Because if he's one of those, your goaltending problems are probably solved for the next decade, maybe 12 years, depending on when he actually arrives to play NHL games. So that's the first thing. The second thing is there are a lot of people that believe he's going to arrive a lot sooner than the typical age 25 where, you know, where a goalie seems to get better, a la Jordan Bennington. So now you're looking at a little bit more of an immediate future for this particular player as opposed to having to wait, you know, the seven years. Um, the next thing is when you, when you interview him and you talk to the young man, he's a very, very mature, dialed in, locked in, locked in guy. So it makes you think that he's going to do what it takes to be able to to move steps forward to playing in the National Hockey League. And I think the other part that really went well for him is the fact that he tested extremely well in a lot of the athletic um, tests during the NHL Combine. So if you're worried about, you know, projecting maybe hip or groin issues down the road, which are typical goaltender issues, you probably have less concern about this guy because of the shape he's in and because of how he tested. Now, having said all that, there's, there's a couple of things to look at here. 
since 2006, I think 12 goalies have been taken in the first round. Um, you know, and that it's, it's such a wide varying group. I think about Jack Campbell mm-hmm. who was drafted by Dallas, who played one game with Dallas and the rest of his time has been with the LA Kings in the national hockey league. I think about Jonathan Bernier. He was drafted by the LA Kings. And I think of his 350 NHL games, maybe 45 of them were, were with LA. He's bounced around here a little bit. And then I think about guys like Rico Hellenius, one NHL game with Tampa Bay, Leland Irving, Malcolm Subban, who I think has 45 or 46 NHL games, one of them with Boston, the team that he was drafted by, 45 with a team that basically had five or six goalies down in, in Vegas. So it's it's such a iffy proposition. The next thing I look at is if I look at the 17 starting goalies in the NHL playoffs this year, and I use 17 because Mrazek and McElhaney for Carolina essentially split once Mrazek got hurt. Of those 17 guys, we saw three first-rounders in uh, Flurry, Rask, and Vasilevsky. Of course, Rask is playing for a title. He had one second-rounder in Robert Lehner. So that's four guys out of 17. The other 13 players were drafted in the third round or later. Yet they're all NHL playoff goaltenders. And look at Jordan Bennington, how long it's taken him to get here. But a third-round guy. I look at Jones and Bobrovsky, both signed as free agents. Pekka Rene is so old and was drafted so long ago, it was beyond what the seven-round draft that we currently know as. So there's still a lot of value to be found in the later rounds. You probably don't want to let that guy get past the third round because the percentages for goaltenders drop off extremely significantly at that point. But I do think there's a lot of times where you can find a guy in goaltender in, in round two or round three just as easily as you might be able to find him in round one. And I think the 17 starting goaltenders in the NHL playoffs prove that fact. All right, let's look at some Canadian teams here. Maybe it's easiest to talk about them in kind of three chunks. No pick for the Leafs, obviously traded in the L.A. uh, trade for uh, Jake Muzzin. So Edmonton, Vancouver, Edmonton 8, Vancouver 10. Any matches really spring to mind there? Yeah, if I'm looking at Edmonton, there's there's probably three or four guys that are going to be available to them. And again, a lot of that has to do with Pod Colson and where he ends up going. Um, You know, I think Byram and Turcotte are going to be somewhere up there in the top five or six. Now you're probably looking at a guy like Trevor Zegers, Philip Broberg, uh, Peyton Krebs, uh, Matthew Boldy, Cole Caulfield, sort of in that range for Edmonton at number eight. And then you get into Vancouver and that list might shorten a little bit because we've added a couple more guys, but Peyton Krebs is definitely going to be a guy in that part of town. I think Cole Caulfield might still be available there at number 10, but probably not much past that. Um, and I'm looking at Matthew Boldy, Trevor Zegers, Dylan Cousins is a guy that I think has, has slipped a little bit and might be available to Vancouver in that spot. So covering off those two teams, again, we're, we're seeing a pretty wide variety of really, really high-end guys. Uh, but most likely, when it comes to both of those teams, I think you can look first at the that defense and at center ice. So, you know, Broberg probably fits somewhere in, in that 10, and then a couple of center icemen, Zegers, Cousins, Turcotte, if he ends up slipping that far, kind of in, in that in that area. So we don't really think of the NHL draft as a way for teams to address immediate needs, but there yeah. is talk in Montreal about maybe trying to get a left shooting defenseman. That's kind of where the hole on their roster is. Do you see the Habs targeting a D-man at 15 right in the middle of the first round? I think a defenseman is is safe to say, but I think when you limit yourself to what way the guy shoots, I mean, you look at how many left shot defensemen are playing the offside. 
mean, I'm watching tape of, of Villanola, uh, the defenseman who played in the Liga in Finland, and a lot of the tape that I've seen is him playing on the offside. So I think it's just something with the with the scarcity of the right shot defenseman. You know, you're looking at guys that are inevitably going to play the offside, but they seem to have the the right shot covered. It doesn't uh, play to me that you'd limit yourself. And, you know, you think about in drafts past where teams might have gone down that road um, in, in specifying a, you know, and specifying a, a player because he shoots right, because he's D, because he's this or that. I think it's a real mistake to go down that road. Yet it does happen at times. And again, when I, when I look at drafting a defenseman, that player is not likely, as you said, Ryan, going to be able to come in and step in and play for you right away. The chances are within three years you want to see that guy being able to play for you. And how much does the dynamic of your right shot, left shot change over the course of those three years? So that's something to be mindful of as well. And I also think that that playing the offside has become regular life in the National Hockey League, even if it is the rare occasion where a righty is, has to be forced to play on the left side. Three teams, uh, Ottawa, Winnipeg, Calgary, basically kind of boom, boom, boom. Ottawa's 19, Winnipeg's 20, Calgary's 26. Uh, anything pop out for those guys? Yeah, you know, like when I'm looking at Ottawa, I think, you know, they are they look to be set in the future here in the back end with Branson and Chabot. I think that's going to be a real dynamic duo for them moving forward. So you're probably looking at someone at the forward position, um, you know, for Ottawa at that point. And again, we're not always necessarily discussing um, filling a need at that point. You want that intersection of best player available who also fills a need for, for where you are. And when we get to that point in the draft at 19, we're starting to see things loosen up a little bit. And the variance of player that you might take there is a lot wider than it is for sure inside of 15 and maybe even as as, as much as to 17, 18. So when it comes to Ottawa, you know, I'm, there's there's some guys there. I mean, if you wanted to go with a defenseman because you think he's the best player available, is Suderstrom available there? Is Thomas Harley uh, available on that spot? Is Sider still available there? When I'm looking at some of the forwards, is Raphael Lavoie a guy that you want to look at? Will Arthur Kaliev slip a little bit from where he's been projected to go in a lot of mock drafts into that area and that goal scoring that 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 he comes with? Um, you know, who else would be available from the from the forward group there? Um, you know, is a Bobby Brink someone they want to jump up on? So there's going to be definitely a lot of a lot of options for Ottawa at 19, and then once you kind of get beyond them, that's when things really really you know, start to open up. I see Winnipeg at 20. There's going to be a variety of options available for them there. I'm not sure which way they're thinking. I, I didn't do a lot of due diligence with Winnipeg, to be perfectly honest with you, because, you know, at the didn't point have I'm the starting pick to until, make my yeah. I didn't have the pick, so I wasn't really all, all that worried about those guys. They might still guys. flip it. Yeah, they might still flip it, yeah, which is, a, which is another thing. And then you get to Calgary, and Calgary's going to have, again, uh, probably a guy in their list that they would have in the 20 range that's going to be available to them at 26. So I think they're going to be really happy staying exactly where they are. And again, if they find themselves having a cluster of players that they f- might feel available at 34, 35, um, at that pick at 25, they may want to investigate slipping back and adding an asset there as well. So last year's draft, Noah Dobson goes 12th overall. And I know you love, love, love Noah Dobson. Is there a guy this year that you love at or close to that level who maybe isn't in that top five, top 10? Well, it's funny you say that because for me, Pod Colson is that guy. And and, and as we sit here, like where he's going to go is just a massive, massive mystery for me. It, it really is. But there's no holes in his game. 
Um, and he's a guy that's even grown. You know, I saw him at the World Juniors and and watched him in some of the media scrums there. And then I saw him at the NHL Combine, and it looked like he'd gained weight. He'd gained muscle. His hands are massive. You know, like, for me, he projects in that area. So I'm kind of answering against the question. But I honestly, like, I could see this guy in the 11, 12, 13 mm. range. You know, when you eliminate the higher-end players, some of the teams that won't draft Russian players, and then the contract, there's three mitigating factors that really might bump him down. But I feel really strongly about this guy's ability. I love his compete. I love his work ethic. He goes to dirty areas. There are really no holes in his game. It's just about getting a little bit bigger and stronger. Now, the one thing people will say that that's a knock against him is his skating. And it's not necessarily an issue because he's got the smarts to know where to go. And I wouldn't say he's deficient. I'd say he's average in that area, not deficient. And as we know, skating something that you can improve on. So I really, really love this player. And I want to, the, I want to answer that question with the name Pod Colson because really he is such a wild card in terms of where he's going to go. Is 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 that fear that is, the, is it just that teams don't want to wait those tiers, or is there a fear that he won't ever come to North America? I don't think you know. It's been said before that the best players always want to come over and play in the league. So. You know, there's some there's there's some cautionary tales in that. Radulov came over and played in the league, didn't necessarily like his lot in life, went back home. Now he ends up back in the league again. Um, Nachushkin's another guy I think about is a, is a similar situation. You know, drafted high by Dallas, starts, plays well, then decides, you know, to go back home. So the lure of the money is always going to be there. The lure of playing in the top league is always going to be there. It's really about finding that balance in terms of the player's character that he's telling you that he's going to do whatever it takes, a la Barbashev, to stick here, to play here, to stick it out, to go to play in the American hockey and then become a pretty big piece of a Stanley Cup sure. champion. You know, is this guy Barbashev? Is he more Radulov? Is he more Burmistrov? Is he more Triampkin? Is he... So that's, you have to really dig down and do your homework on on the type of character that this kid is. If he's willing to stick it out, that if he doesn't play in the National Hockey League, he's willing to accept time in the American League and lesser money there. All right, speaking of homework, we'll get you out of here on this. Your uh, mock draft is up on uh, sportsnet.ca going up on Wednesday. Give us a little look behind the curtain. Uh, it's, uh, I'm guessing, basically a year-long thing for you. What pours into what people can find in your mock draft? I'm really lucky in the fact that in my job as the CHL analyst, I get to see a lot of these guys from the age of 16. So I'm kind of getting, you know, if we look at the CHL, even if the number is 40%, which is a little bit low, uh, especially when it comes to the first round, I'm getting a chance to see 40% of those guys over the course of two years, and some of them who are late birthdays, uh, maybe even three years. So that's a huge benefit for me. But really what it comes down to is it's just relationship building. It's no different than you know a salesman. It's no different than someone in the corporate world who goes about building relationships. As part of that is, is being at the rink when you know maybe people don't expect you to be there or going to practices, going to games before we're actually calling games sticking around a day or two later to take in a game that you feel it's important to take in because the player is involved in that game. Um, and, and when people see you out there and working uh, and, and really trying to, to, to better yourself, to make notes, to, to see things with your own eyes, well, I don't have that great scouting eye like the NHL guys. They appreciate the fact that you're there doing the work. So when I pick up the phone and I call somebody, 
nine times out of ten, that guy will say, well, I'll talk to you because I know you're out there keeping an eye on things. Or, well, what did you think of this guy? And my thoughts might be totally different, but they know that I've seen him with my own eyes so that we can have that conversation. So what it comes down to is basically looking at the guy with my own eyes. I want to do that whenever I can. We've been afforded the opportunity here at Sportsnet to, to work with a company called Instat uh, recently that has allowed me to view all kinds of video on the European players that I don't get the opportunity of the budget to go and see. Nice, that's great. So I've been really, really thankful for that and pouring over some crazy, crazy video stuff uh, and, and keeping an eye on that. So you watch guys with your own eyes. Those who you don't see enough of or don't know well enough because they're in areas that you can't get to, you need to lean on the, on the people around you and you need to lean on the video. So I try and do that. And then from there, it's just kind of looking back at the history of the team, looking a little bit at the general manager, in some cases looking at what a particular need might be and putting all those things into the soup, stirring it up, and then coming out with, hey, I think this guy is a good fit here for a variety of reasons, or I think this guy should fit here because he quite simply is the next best player available, and so on and so forth. So there's the process for me started last August, was able uh, to be able to go to the Holinka Gretzky and Red Deer in Edmonton. So you get to see pretty much everybody there. And then it works through our regular season. It works through our Canada-Russia. So I get to see some of the really good Russian players uh, there in November. We work through our Sherwin-Williams Top Prospects game. Get to see the best of the best in the CHL there. Oftentimes I get a chance to go to the World Juniors. So you're getting to see more of the Europeans and some of the Americans you don't necessarily see there. And then a lot of viewing of the under-18s on TV, a lot of video, Phone calls, emails, text messages, <laughs> and a whole lot of faith that the people you're talking to aren't selling you selling you <laughs> a line. That's it. That's all that <laughs> That's goes into it. <laughs> well, yeah, the draft day is obviously the culmination of a lot of work for the young kids, but also on your end, the culmination of all that stuff that you just outlined for us. So thanks for taking some time out for us, Sammy. We know you're super busy. Safe trip to Vancouver and enjoy. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate being on and, and trying to share a little bit about uh, what goes into it. Thanks a lot. We love it. Hey, thanks, buddy. There he is, Sportsnet's Sam Cosentino. Look for Sam's 2019 NHL mock draft on sportsnet.ca later on in the day on Wednesday. All right, when we come back, we're going to look back a little. 20 years, in fact, the 1999 draft. Not really the best reputation among the uh, the annual derby, uh, I don't know how much you remember, but it, Rory, notable for the fact that Brian Burke did some wheeling and dealing to get the Sedins, and Patrick Steffen, the guy who went number one, uh, never really fulfilled his promise, but many layers to Patrick's story. I had a chance to uh, sit down with Patrick at his house in uh, Greater Detroit very recently to reflect back on his career and uh, the draft itself. He had some interesting things to say. We're going to play you a clip from that interview. On the other side of the break, coming up on Tape to Tape. Tired of subscribing to multiple streaming services to get your sports fix? Introducing Sportsnet Now. Live stream the NHL, NBA, MLB, IndyCar, and much more all in one subscription. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, and Chromecast. 
Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. New package options available beginning at $19.99 a month. View snnow.ca for more details. When I say that name for you, Patrick Steffen, I'm guessing one thing comes to mind. The goal? The non-goal? What do we want to call it? Depends on your perspective. For (laughs) for those who who don't remember, uh, it was 2007 season, 6-7, his last year in the the league with the Dallas Stars. Of course, he was coming down to deposit a puck into the empty net, and puck just took... It it, Honestly, it's like someone... It's like a villain hit a button, and it just, like, popped up, (laughs) and... um, you know, next thing you know, he's down on the ice and had been scrambling to try and recover and accidentally kicks it back the other way. The Oilers swoop back and score and tie a game with two seconds left. And yeah, this, this guy who had been uh, the first overall pick now was basically almost 10 years into his career. And that basically wound up kind of putting this weird symbolic period on his time in the Mm -hmm. NHL. He was, he played his last game six weeks later and, uh, but of course, for some people, the for many people, the memory of that play uh, lasted well beyond that. So when basically what happened was I was looking around at the 99 draft because it was the 20th anniversary. So we were talking about it a bit in the newsroom because it was this draft that even going into it, people thought it was it was going to be an off year. And it, it turned out to be uh, one where other than basically the Sedins two and three, thanks to to Brian Burke uh, doing some creative trades. You know, they obviously had stellar careers. The only other guy in the whole draft who really had a, a really, really great career was seventh rounder Henrik Zetterberg. But through the, <laughs> through the course of this, I started looking into what Stefan was up to now. And um, he's really, really involved in hockey and has a, a, a great, busy hockey life going, which is exactly how uh, he likes to likes to be. He's uh, been an agent for, you know, basically the past decade and has two sons who are both playing the game. And, and his older son, James, is actually headed to the Portland Winterhawks next year. He's on the radar for the 2021 draft. So Patrick, who's only 38 still, actually <laughs> could be back at the NHL draft before too long. So I talked to him about a whole bunch of things, but certainly wanted to ask him about, you know, the lingering effect of of that goal um, and that he was at the center of in Edmonton and, you know, what uh, what impact that has had on him. And, and he had some interesting things, very honest things to say. Just uh, have a little listen here. I fear you're going to get asked about the stupid empty net goal forever, but you were saying right. that even your right. kids that you coach right. have asked you, right? Like, right. Is, it, is it one of those things when it happened where you're like, oh, God, this is going to be on every highlight show and all that stuff? Well, it happened in Edmonton, so, I mean, it couldn't happen in the worst place. <laughs> I mean, you know, it could have, you know, if it happened in Arizona, maybe it would be like a day or two. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, it was not something that I'm proud of, for sure. Um, you know, you look at it back and, you know, obviously I saw the video many, million times. I've been reminded a lot about that. Uh, how is that possible and how awful player and, and all these things, you know, how, you know, just you hear these comments and people talk about it. Uh, but then over there, like, I mean, there's only one thing I would change about that play, which is that to, to not try not to carry it all the way to the net. But, I mean, you see, my thoughts were that the ice in Edmonton is not that great. I'm just going to take the puck all the way to the net to make sure the only thing it does over there that when I put it in my back and because I'm coming from the left side, right, so I'm just going to put it in my back and I'm slide it in, it jumps on my stick. And if you see that, you know, and then as soon as that happens, oh, after that, it's just panic mode. You know, because it's like, holy shit. And they have to react over there. 
you know and then i felt because it's like panic mode oh my god you know i gotta stop and then trying to push it back over here and lots, lots of people talk about oh he's an idiot now he makes a second mistake because he pushes the back up to the play or you think i just try to push the back up to the play i try to stop and go the other way and then push it back in right because i still have enough time so pretty much the, everything would have been wrong and worse it just happened in those five or six seconds like people that have no idea what i've been up to what, I, what i'm doing they think that i'm this guy who missed empty net i think that's the perception of lots of people that you know who missed empty net and that's what i'm known for and this bust as a number one pick, right? I knew he read that, you know, left and right, but I can tell one thing that, you know, do I still want to play? You know, I wish I can play for sure. Uh, do I will take back some things I've, you know, done and do differently for sure. But I mean, that's, you're learning from that. But also like, I mean, I'm not living in the shell. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. Um, working with the kids, working with our own kids, you know, helping other players and, you know, I mean, that's, that's, in my opinion, that's almost a way bigger picture and way bigger thing deal than, you know, than when I was playing, you know, National Hockey because it's really short. It comes and goes. So there you have it, Rory. I mean, that's just a guy saying what I, what I actually found myself thinking a couple times was there's an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld mm -hmm. where I forget who his guest is, but he says, the guest asked Jerry, how many cars do you actually have? And Jerry goes, not a number that's going to make you go, oh, that makes sense. And I, I thought was when Patrick was giving the explanation, I was like, you know, it's it's there's nothing you can say that are going to make people go, oh, well, that makes sense. But when you break yeah. it down, it's like you can kind of see how it happens, right? Like, yeah, you, as he says, I'm actually trying to do my due diligence and be thorough and carry the puck all the way to the net. Well, it hops over my stick you know, and, and as he said, it's just panic mode. He's just trying to reach back to sweep it back toward the Edmonton goal and accidentally knocks it up ice. And then, you know, all hell breaks loose, right? It, it's a reminder to me how fast the NHL game is, yeah. right? Like it, it, they make it look so easy, which is why that play looks like such a colossal screw up. But yeah, in his mind, that as he's describing it there too, it's it's boom, boom, boom. One thing. Oh, I missed it. Oh, I fell. Oh my goodness! Like it, it's 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 done and it's over with. And then you're sitting there and you're looking at the team go the other way, thinking, "Oh my God, please no, please no, please no." And then the Oilers score. And would you rather be known? <laughs> unfortunately, he's known as both. Would you rather be known as a first overall bust or the guy who missed the open net, only <laughs> for the other team to go down and score? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny asking around to. There's um, there's a lot of people who will tell you, and and I know Patrick believes this too. And you know the hope is uh, somewhere down the road in the summer we'll play um, a lot more of this interview and and maybe even turn it into its own episode. But he's a guy who came along a little too early. The league has changed such that you know if he he was probably never going to live up to his uh, what the billing was of a first overall pick or what you expect. But he's a really smart, really skilled player. Who back then, you know, you still had the divide between top six, bottom six, and the top six were the skill guys. The bottom yeah. six were more bangers and fighters. Now, that's obviously not the case. He most certainly had, you know, had he been able to stay healthy because it was ultimately a hip injury that ended his time, but he right. had concussions uh, before he came into the league. So, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of things that kind of conspired against him. And part of it just was when he came along. Had he come along right. 10 years later, um, you know, very much could have been a different story. So very interesting guy and uh, very, very involved in hockey and, and absolutely loving uh, his hockey life right now. So as I said, 
uh, down the road in the, in the lazy summer months, we, uh, we're going to try and put together a, a longer episode where we can play more uh, of that conversation I had with Patrick. So look for that down the road. Look once again for Sam's mock draft on sportsnet.ca coming up on uh, at some point on Wednesday afternoon. And the feature I wrote about Patrick and the 1999 draft, which includes a big part on uh, Brian Burke getting the Sedins and how that all came to be, that will be up on sportsnet.ca on Sunday. Uh, In between, who knows, Rory, because it's the time of year where anything could be happening uh, at the blink of an eye. Uh, We plan to be back here in the studio the Sunday after the draft. So we'll have our takeaways on Mm -hmm. the draft and whatever trades may happen. And, uh, who knows if something monumental happens, maybe we'll have a quick emergency pod before then. Wouldn't surprise me at all. If we see another big trade or yeah. two, maybe even bigger than the Truba one that's already sure. happened. Absolutely. To follow all that, make sure you're at sportsnet.ca or following Rory on Twitter at Rory Boylan, myself at Dixon on sports and check back on Sunday for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape.